What's up, guys? Welcome back to the MMA meeting. Let's talk with Weasel Podcast, where we talk all things MMA, and there's a lot to dive into. But first, Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays to all of you. I hope you guys had an amazing week. It was a good time to just recover. It was a good time off to spend with the family, and... For me, I pretty much spend the entire week sleeping it away. There are a few days where I slept like 12, 13 hours, which is pretty crazy. I got a really crazy schedule. I mean, with school, training, YouTube, and it was just a great week. And for Christmas, I pretty much just had people come over. You know, I haven't done the presents thing in a very, very long time. I used to get socks all the time and nothing crazy, you know. So I'm kind of used to just having a relaxing Christmas. No presents, no stress, no gifts, nothing like that. Just going through the day and spending time with family and just sleeping pretty much. And I just want to talk about really quick, after the Anthony Joshua Andy Ruiz rematch, as well as the Overeem vs. Rosenstrike fight, I think it was the same weekend if I'm not wrong, right? Three weeks ago. The reason why I didn't upload any videos in that week was actually because I got suspended for that week. A lot of people don't know that. I had a community guideline violation where I had something in my description, a link in my description where I should not be having it, I guess. It was like a wide crackdown on YouTube about this one rule, and I never really heard of it before. And they suspended me for one week because of something in my description. The rules are the rules, but man, a week? Can I just like delete it? You know, can I just like replace it really quick? A couple backspaces? I think more of a warning about something in a description would be more reasonable to go about things instead of just suspending someone for one week because of it. But yeah, that was why I was not able to upload that week. So diving right into MMA, looking back at that last car with Korean Zombie defeating Frankie Edgar, we had some other good matchups. The co-main event was pretty interesting. Very close fight as I expected. And the Duho Choi fight especially... Man, I was saying it before, I didn't know what to think about it. I don't know what to think about Duo Troy coming to that, if he made any adjustments, if he was just going to be that same kind of all offense, no defense fighter. Some people call him a glass cannon. I don't think he's a glass cannon, but he's getting there, right? Because he does have a pretty good chin, but the damage he has taken in his last three fights have been enormous. I mean, something that a young fighter should never have to go through early in his career like this. I mean... Going to war with Cub Swanson, the best fight, I think, of 2018 or 2017. One of the best fights of that year. Going through that, fighting Jeremy Stevens, a more dangerous striker, getting knocked out in the second round, I believe it was. Not having many moments in that fight. And then fighting Charles Jourdain, a guy who is not known for his knockout power or anybody who is super dangerous compared to Duo Choi, who is known as some young phenom. Getting knocked out the way he did and dropped twice in the fight is very, very alarming because it was all pointing to the lack of defense Duo Choi has. Man, I've been saying about not just Duo Choi, but a lot of the South Korean fighters, they are a lot better on the offense than the defense, and Duo Choi is an exaggerated version of that. When he's moving forward and letting his hands go, a lot of people just cannot deal with it very well. Even a veteran with the experience that Cub Swanson has, he couldn't deal with it that well either. But when he was able to punch back a Duo Choi, Choi does something every single fight, and he did it in this one as well. He had a time off that he could have gotten better, advanced his defense, but he just didn't do so. What he did in this fight, as well as the Cub Swanson fight and Jeremy Stevens fight, is whenever punches are getting thrown at him, he just takes a back step. No head movement, and hands are never up. Super obvious, right? Very easy to game plan around or make him fall into traps. And I believe Jordan just caught him with a straight left right down the center. Digging in all the way and just dropped it with Joy, man. That's the number one thing Joy has to do. So he's going to probably have the military service sometime soon. I thought he had it before this fight. It looked like he was going to get into that whole system. But something happened to the process and he just didn't go with it. So hopefully when he goes to the military, so hopefully when he takes the military service and takes some time off from fighting, he should 
definitely focused on his defense. It is something that they acknowledged before this fight is that Duel Choi did work on his defense. I just didn't see it. Everything was the same. It was the same young, brash, offensively explosive Duel Choi that he's never going to get anywhere like this. This is three losses in a row, two of them by finish. One of them was almost by a finish. It's just not a good start for a young fighter, especially a South Korean fighter who's trying to get behind the trailblazing Chan Sung Jung, right? Chan Sung Jung is, without a doubt, the best fighter to come out of South Korea so far. He is a trailblazer, a 32-year-old, but a trailblazer. And man, a lot of people thought that Superboy was going to be the guy, the next guy, possibly the future of this division, and it's just not looking like it. I mean, remember that first, what, three-finish run that he went through? Everybody was talking about Duo Choi like he's the next star of this division. Right? They put him right at Cub Swanson after those fights. And he went to war. They thought still highly of him to go to war with Cub Swanson like that. He brought something out of Swanson that nobody really is capable of. You know, Swanson said that he was punching Duel Troy harder than he punches heavy bags. And you bring a lot out of a man to make him punch a human being harder than an inanimate heavy bag in the gym, right? So they threw him at Jeremy Stevens and that was just a bit too much. And now things are just not going his way, man. It's just not great to see a young fighter of Duel Troy. And then even the Comey event, Alexander Rakic, you know, these younger prospects of the light heavyweight division they're just losing now besides Dominic Reyes Reyes controversially beat Volkan a lot of people thought that Reyes lost so the younger light heavyweights they're just not doing so well in this division when they're trying to face the top ranks Volkan just defeated Rakic and he pretty much defeated Reyes you got Johnny Walker who just got TKO'd by Corey Anderson Khalil Roundtree got destroyed by Kutilaba Kutilaba's a young guy as well it got to the point where Khalil Roundtree's going to have one more fight and then he's going to announce his retirement that's crazy right 29 years old 13 professional fights in his career and he's already thinking about retirement and I don't know I always saw that about Khalil Roundtree something about him just seems like he's not going to be a long term fighter for some reason maybe it's his personality I saw him in tough and the reason why he got into martial arts is because he wanted to lose weight you know clear roundtree just didn't get into the sport like a lot of other fighters did to become the best to become a fighter and that was their focus since day one the retirement from clear roundtree doesn't surprise me too much to be honest but these light heavyweights man they gotta get going because everybody wants to see john jones get tested they want to see someone able to compete with jones these days is it going to be dominic reyes i actually do think reyes is going to put up more of a challenge than people expect reyes is a big guy he's athletic he's a better boxer than jones i will say he has a really good high kick he has better timing he has knockout power i don't think he's going to knock out jones and reyes has said that he's been wrestling since he was a kid and in his last fight against chris wyman you know the takedowns were not working for wyman at all and Reyes seemed to be stronger in the clinch, and it's just something he expected. You know, when he got taken down by Volkan Uzmir, it was more of a lack of preparation for that kind of style. He didn't expect a wrestling Volkan Uzmir to come out there, and I think they know what to expect from Jones, right? There's a lot of footage on Jones. There's a lot to game plan for, and Dominic Reyes has said that since his college days in football, in American football, Dominic Reyes is like a master at watching footage and analyzing. It's something he has had to do for a very long time now. You know, in American football, Dominic Reyes had to study footage for hours, for hours. And that can actually be a huge weapon coming to MMA. And it strongly correlates right to the fact that he got taken down by Volkan Uzmir. Right, he didn't expect that at all. There was really no footage of Volkan Uzmir trying to go for takedowns that much and be successful with them. Only time was against Anthony Smith, but it was just not super successful. And that's the other thing. It's a clash of analysts in some sense. I mean, Greg Jackson, Mike Winklejohn, I forgot which one said this, but the claim is that John Jones studies footage better than they do. John Jones studies footage 
better than his coaches do. So we got two fighters who are also low-key analysts going at each other in a next-level intellectual or calculated fight. This could be like some next-level Death Note stuff going on here. And we know that when unpredictable variables enter into their fights, they don't perform as well. Look at John Jones versus OSP. He said the reason why OSP was so hard for him is because it was a short notice fight and OSP is very unpredictable. Dominic Reyes had a hard time with Volkan because Volkan went the wrestling route. So on paper, who is more unpredictable? Is that going to be the deciding factor of that fight? Who is going to be the more unpredictable fighter? Who's going to analyze the footage better than the other and bring it into fight night? I would say John Jones is more unpredictable than Reyes is. Reyes brings a very, I don't want to say rudimentary, but very textbook style. Solid pop fighter, a lot of left straights left high kicks, and a lot of redirections. The most unpredictable thing about Reyes is his footwork. Jones has a lot of weapons, and because he has a lot of weapons, there's a lot of things to analyze, a lot of things to look for. Right now, I do think Jones will be Dominic Reyes, but I do think that Reyes is going to bring something into that fight that a lot of people haven't seen in a very long time. Maybe something since Lyoto Machida, you know, catching Jones because of the footwork. And then that main event of the Korean card, you know, Chan Sung Jung is not only the best fighter to come out of South Korea, but he is one of the best fighters today. He is pretty mad that the rankings have him as number four rather than number two. He believes he should be right behind Max Holloway, who has just lost the belt, right? So he's going to be number one. I can kind of see it because who did Briner take a defeat to become the number two fighter? He defeated Frank Yeager. Who defeated Frank Yeager more thoroughly? And that would probably be Korean Zombie. Both guys fought Frank Yeager on short notice. And Korean Zombie defeated Frank Yeager way more destructively, right? It took a minute to knock down Frank Yeager. And not only did he knock down Frank Yeager, he rocked him again. Fight went to the floor. Korean Zombie dominated the grappling, dominated the ground and pound, dominated the position. The scrambling made them stand back up again and then just destroyed Frankie even more. Brian Ortega and Frankie was just going back and forth until the elbow landed at the end of the round. So yeah, Korean Zombie definitely had a better performance against Frank Yeager. But the thing that's knocking Korean Zombie being the number two ranked fighter is the fact that he lost to Yara Rodriguez. Yes, he was winning the fight, but he lost at the end. Was it a fluke? Was it not? I think Korean Zombie should fight Yair Rodriguez. I think that should be the most logical fight because a guy in his position will only want a title fight. But the fact that he lost a Yair the way he did, I would guarantee he would want a rematch. He'd want to right that wrong and show everybody that it was a fluke. Almost like what happened with Gegard Musasi and Uriah Hall. Even though this one is way more freakish and way more strange than what happened in Musasi versus Hall the first time. But it's a very similar mindset, I believe. And frankly, I do think Korean Zombie will defeat Yara Rodriguez. He just made a very big mistake of rushing things at the last 10 seconds and, you know, slapping hands over Yair and just ran forward into a very unpredictable shot that Yair went for that you'll never see again. You'll probably never see that elbow ever again in your life. That is why I believe it's probably the greatest knockout of all time. In my opinion, it's the greatest knockout of all time. To land something like that, to knock someone out like Korean Zombie, last second of a five-round fight, there's nothing that tops that. That's insane. And I don't think something like that's going to be pulled off again. So, yeah. I do think Korean Zombie should fight Yair Rodriguez, and I do believe he will win that fight. There is Zabit out there, and there is Brian Ortega. Let's have him fight each other. Zabit versus Ortega, because that's the fight that got scheduled before that a lot of people wanted to see. That a lot of people were throwing shots at Brian Ortega for pulling out of that fight. And if I'm not wrong, he didn't even have an injury when that got scheduled. So let's run that. I will say if Korean Zombie is the one that wins out of those four fighters, he should be the number one contender for the title. He should absolutely be the next guy in line. Even if Zabit goes out there and knocks out 
Brian Ortega on the first five seconds with a flying knee, I still think Korean Zombie should be the next guy for the belt. Now, if Yair Rodriguez defeats Korean Zombie, and let's say Zabit defeats Brian Ortega, now it's kind of a toss-up. I think they will go to Zabit because Zabit is a bigger name. He has more of a following. So the business aspect of that could probably nudge Zabit a little bit ahead of Yair. If Brian Ortega defeats Zabit, he is not there for a title shot. He just got in his last fight. He needs another two, three fights until he gets a title shot again. So that card was actually pretty decent, but the time slot was not good, man. At least over here, you know. But here's the thing. I can't complain. The Europeans, the Australians, the Asians, Africans, probably. I don't know what time zone uh, parts of Africa is because it's such a big continent. You guys get this all the time. I mean, you guys are staying up 4 or 5 in the morning until the main event's over. Sometimes until the main card starts, and that's a bit of a drag, man. So I can't complain. Americans, we can't complain. We get this once in a blue moon. Definitely not looking forward to the next one. Now, here's the thing about Conor McGregor. Now, Conor seems to have put on some weight. I talked about this a little bit on Twitter. So there are pictures of Conor McGregor in a hoodie and also sweatpants. So it could be a bit of a delusion or maybe something he's putting out there to confuse and trick everybody. But he looks massive. At least his arms and shoulders, dude. Conor never really had a big chest or big back or abs or obliques or anything like that. It's really his arms and shoulders are big and long. And that's what makes him look bigger. So it possibly just could be that. If he takes off the hoodie and also the sweatpants, he could probably be relatively the same as before and not gain much weight maybe he weighs like 175 you know that's not much but my man in those pictures look like he's ready for the next street fighter game or something like that some guy tweeted me that he looks like super vegeta the guy looks absolutely massive and if he is actually that big the idea is probably railroading donald cerrone in that first round blasting him right to unconsciousness as soon as the ref signals the fight and to be honest, to be honest, that is not a bad game plan. Don is a very slow starter. And he doesn't deal well with boxing. He doesn't deal well with straight shots. He doesn't deal well with pressure. Combining all of those is his nightmare. And that is what Connor brings into a fight. So putting on more weight, more force behind the punch, getting more explosive, getting more physical, and the drawback will be the cardio. It doesn't matter. He's not going to beat Donald Cerrone in the cardio department either way. He's not going to defeat Donald Cerrone for five rounds. Even if he works on his cardio... Cerrone will start to win the fight by the third round, right? Third, fourth, and fifth. I guarantee no matter what version of Conor we see, Cerrone will start to beat Conor McGregor and find openings and possibly finish Conor in the fifth round because Cerrone is that dangerous as the fight carries on. He gets stronger as the fight goes. So sometimes, man, sometimes your game plan has to revolve around I gotta knock this guy on the first two rounds. And that is exactly what Connor should be looking for in this fight. He shouldn't be looking to drag this out to the third, fourth, fifth. He wants to finish Cerrone in those first two rounds. And knowing that Cerrone just got finished in his last one, Chin can probably be a bit soft. It's not a bad game plan if he's going this route. We are conditioned and fighters are conditioned to think you have to last in fights. You got to keep going. You got to build on your cardio. Man, sometimes you can adapt into a different style, into a different game plan. If your game plan is going to be, I got to knock this guy out in the first two rounds, why not just go into the more physical, explosive component of your game? rather than dragging it out and working on your cardio for the entire camp. Now, I will say, Conor versus some other fighters who are not slow starters, you know, say Justin Gaethje, right? Against Justin Gaethje, yes, work on your cardio, because Gaethje also doesn't have good cardio, and he's a very fast starter, right? So you don't want to build onto your first start that much in your training camp. But in this one, where the guy is a slow starter, yeah, man, just get in there, lift some weights, 
put more protein in your body, whatever you got to do, man, to get that guy out in the first two rounds, you should be going about that. It just brings more of an intelligence approach for fighters, right? It's not all about just lasting longer. Sometimes you just got to blast your opponent in the first round. So yeah, if Conor's going out there to hurt Cerrone fast, I don't see anything wrong with it. I don't see any backlash for it. If it doesn't happen, let's say Cerrone has a good enough chin to take the shots from Conor for the first two rounds, and this just starts destroying a tired Conor McGregor, I will definitely see people say, oh, look, Conor, you know, he didn't work on his cardio, he got too big. But the Conor that fought Nate Diaz, will he even be ready enough to fight Don Cerrone for the third, fourth, and fifth? I don't think so. I really don't. I don't think it will matter that much. Maybe he'll hold off some of the damage for the first half of the third round, but... I don't even see that, to be honest. It should be a good fight, but I don't know. There's something about this fight that it just doesn't get me as excited as some other fights that are going on, right? Am I the only one that just doesn't feel like this fight does that much for me as a fan? Just excitement and just something to look forward to, anticipation. Just something about this fight just doesn't give me that feeling. You know, Colby and Usman did. I was so excited for that fight, even when the first two title fights went by and, you know, 50 minutes of fighting, I was still amped up for that main event. This one just not so much. And it could be that they're coming off losses and they're fighting at 170 rather than 155. And I preferred Connor to fight Justin Gage or even Dustin Poirier rather than Cowboy. I don't know what it is. When I bring it all together, it probably is a mix of things. But just there's a lot of fights that I'm looking forward to more than this one. Right, Habib vs. Tony is my Christmas wish. I'm glad that it is scheduled for April, and I absolutely cannot wait for that one. I'm trying not to think too much about that fight, because you know the curse about that fight. Maybe it doesn't happen for the, what, fourth, fifth time? I don't even know how many times they got scheduled now. So, looking forward to this one. I am excited for the card. I am excited for the fight. I'm not saying I'm not, but comparing it to some other fights that just happened, or are going to happen in the future... Even Jones vs. Reyes does more for me than this one. But we'll see. Maybe fight night things change. Maybe the press conferences things change. I think they're going to be very cordial and very positive and friendly with each other. I think we're going to see a different Conor McGregor. And actually, these press conferences are going to happen next for Conor. I don't know how many are going to happen, but most likely one at least. It's probably going to win some fans over for Conor and say, Oh, look, Conor is actually a pretty good guy. I didn't like the guy that fought Habib and how he acted. I like this friendly and joyful Conor who's just throwing it up with Don Cerrone. Just two good lads having a drink and fighting on Saturday. I can see a lot of people being happy to see this fight after the press conference. And I put up a poll two days ago about who's the fighter of the decade. So I am thinking about making a video regarding like fighter of the decade, fights of the decade, and other categories maybe not that you normally see. Maybe the most violent fighter or the most active fighter or, you know, different kind of categories. And I put up the poll for who's the fighter of the decade. And with 17,000 votes, you guys say that John Jones is the fighter of the decade. So that's 41%. There's 26% for GSP, 19% for Habib, 12% for Demetrius Johnson, and 1% for Josie Aldo. A lot of people are asking me, where's Conor McGregor? When I say fighter of the decade, I don't mean most important fighter of the decade. I mean strictly competitive merit and competitive legacy. That's it, right? I don't think Conor... He's right behind Aldo, I believe, but I think Aldo has done more in the decade than Conor has. I mean, we're talking about the guy who became the first UFC champ. We're talking about Josie Aldo's whole career, pretty much. I mean, we're talking about WC championship, coming to the UFC, defending it seven more times, added on to his two times at WEC, and defeating the names that he has defeated, as well as, you know, 
defeating Frankie Edgar the second time, defeating Jeremy Stevens, uh, going down and having a great fight with Marlon Moraes, all that sort of stuff. I believe Josie Aldo is definitely one of the best fighters of the decade. But if you throw away the PEDs, how can you argue against John Jones? The only thing that's holding him back is the PEDs. Okay, just throw that away just to look at him and look what he has done. My gosh, what he has done is something that's unheard of. I mean, we're talking about after his loss to Matt Hamill, you know, defeated Brandon Vera, Matyushenko, Ryan Bader, wins the belt against Shogun Hua, defends against Jackson, Machida, Evans, Belfort, Sonnen, Gustafson, Teixeira, Cormier, wins the interim belt against Ovin St. Pru, defeats the no contest, Daniel Cormier, defeats Gustafson again, Anthony Smith, Thiago Santos. Yeah, throwing away the PED stuff just for the fighter of the decade, there's nobody that comes close to Jones in that decade. Even GSP. When you look at GSP, a lot of his stuff was going on before 2010. He retired, semi-retired in um, 2013. Starting in 2010, he defeated Dan Hardy, Josh Koscheck, Jake Shields, Carlos Condit, Nick Diaz, and then Johnny Hendricks. A lot of those were really good wins, dominant wins. But the big thing was when he returned four years later against Michael Bisping and won the championship there and looked amazing doing it. Even though some of his biggest performances were before 2010, of what he has done in the later parts of his career, still puts him as one of the best fighters of the decade. And then Demetrius Johnson and Habib. Habib still has things to do. If Habib goes out there and defeats Tony Ferguson... Okay, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this. I heard what Luke Thomas had to say a little bit about Habib versus Tony Ferguson. Very brief comment that he believes that the winner of Habib versus Tony isn't the greatest of all time. Greatest lightweight of all time. That is something I disagree with. And that is something a lot of fans believe as well. A lot of people believe it's BJ Penn. Some people give it to like Benson Henderson or Frankie Edgar. In my opinion and a lot of yours, I've seen the comments... Habib and Tony are the greatest lightweights of all time. And again, it all comes down to criteria. And my biggest criteria is who have they defeated? The competition is number one because that is a thing that at the end of the day claims superiority to everything else. You can have a thousand title defenses and fought nobody but cans, right? You can have the longest win streak but fight cans, you know? But if you go out there and beat the best fighters in the world, back to back to back to back, there's nothing that can discredit your claim. There's nothing. Or you'll say, oh, but he was never a champion or he never defended his belts or whatever it is. Yeah, but if the champion is fighting the guys that this guy's fighting, will he even become the champ? Would he even get to that belt? Tony Ferguson was the interim champion. He was never the undisputed champion. But his resume is stronger than pretty much every other champion besides Khabib that has ever competed in the lightweight division. Think about that. A guy who was never undisputed champion has a stronger resume than every champion that came before him. Think about that. Tony Ferguson has defeated better fighters than any other undisputed champion. I would say besides Khabib Nurmagomedov. That is why Khabib and Tony are the best. They're the best lightweights of all time. They have defeated guys that I believe, you know, if Frankie, Benson, BJ Penn in his prime, again, BJ Penn didn't really have many guys to fight because the lightweight division was pretty new, so it's not his fault, but he's in that kind of Ronda Rousey status where he just fought who was there. Yeah, they weren't the best fighters, but those are the guys he was beating. But that goes into the argument. Tony is fighting the best lightweights that you have ever seen. Habib is beating the best fighters that you have ever seen. And they have the longest win streaks in the lightweight division's history with that resume, with that competition. Best lightweights of all time. And the only way you can have the definitive claim at the top, the concrete greatest, is the winner on April 18. For me, there is no fight they could put together. They can bring Fader from his prime to fight Daniel Cormier in heavyweight. 
They can bring Francis Ngannou to fight Shane Carwin or something. There is nothing that gets me more excited to watch than Habib Nurmagomedov versus Tony Ferguson. There's nothing I anticipate more. It could be John Jones versus Fedor in his prime. It, like they could bring time machines like his Doctor Who, and there's nobody. There's no fight they can make that's more anticipated, better, and more competitive against two of the greatest of all time. There's none. When has there ever been an MMA two guys with this kind of status to face each other in their primes, essentially? Some people will argue that Tony isn't in his prime anymore. If you argue that, I don't know how you can make that definitive claim because he's only been getting better and he's only been defeating fighters the best in the world, as dominant as ever. Yes, he's 36 years old, but some fighters just don't slow down at that age. And we're seeing more of that in modern MMA. The longevity is just stretching out. You know, fighters are able to compete longer now. I mean, look back who these guys have beaten. Tony Ferguson has defeated two former champions. Habib has defeated three former champions. How many lightweight champions has there ever been? 12 champions in the lightweight division's history. Three of them have left the division. And two of them have left the organization completely. At least four champions available at lightweight for each other to beat. Two of them have lost to Habib. And Tony has defeated some prior to that, like Fredo Santos and Anthony Pettis before they went up to 170. I mean, we're talking about 12 UFC win streak versus 12 UFC win streak. 28 overall win streak versus 12 win streak at Tony Ferguson. The longest win streaks in UFC lightweight division's history going up against each other. Habib has a title defense. That is actually more than most champions in this division can even claim for already with his competition beaten, with the win streak, with the domination, with the skills. He's the consensus greatest grappler in the UFC. And I mean consensus. Most people believe that Habib is the best wrestler slash grappler that has ever competed in the organization. And he's versing probably the most unpredictable fighter that has ever competed in the UFC, right? Very straightforward, same style fighter in Habib is going to fight someone who fights differently in every single fight. The surgeon, the boogeyman, Tony Ferguson, who makes everybody bleed, is fighting the guy who's never been cut before. He's fighting the Superman. He's fighting the guy that really even ever gets hurt, the invincible one in Habib. Both fighters make everybody they fight break mentally before they pummel their body into oblivion. Habib's gonna be under his bed every night waiting for the boogeyman to show up so he can start grappling with him to get ready for this. Tony Ferguson's gonna be up in the mountains over there in Russia fighting bears to get ready for Habib. They have both gone and say this is the fight that has to happen for the division for its history. Habib said before this fight got scheduled that he's not that motivated for other fights. You know, Dustin Poirier fight didn't do much for him. He even said the Tony Ferguson fight doesn't really do much for him until he probably thought about it a little bit more. And now he's saying it's the most important fight in his career. Really? He just fought Conor McGregor. The biggest fight in the organization's history. Forget weight classes. Forget all of that stuff. It was the biggest fight ever. One of the biggest fights in combat sports history. But this fight with Tony Ferguson is the most important for him. And it's the most important for the competitiveness of the division and knowing that Habib is going to retire pretty soon win or lose against Tony Ferguson most likely Tony is probably going to retire pretty soon as well he's 36 years old what is he going to do after Habib what is the winner of this fight going to do after if Tony or Habib win what is going to happen with them what do they have left to prove they have defeated everybody already there's Justin Gaethje that's it after Justin Gaethje there's nothing left Tony can fight Conor McGregor and call it a career whoever wins this fight I believe only has two more fights in their career Justin Gaethje and Conor McGregor. That's it. They're done. There's nobody else. They've defeated everybody. For both of them, that's how great they are. That's how equal they are when you look at the resume. They both have defeated everybody. There's nobody left after this. Besides really one fighter, but two when you go into the business aspect of the of the sport. So I will say probably the beginning of 2021, you will probably see the winner of this fight on April 18th 
retire. The greatest lightweight of all time, one of the greatest fighters of all time you can claim. Let's say even if Tony defeats Habib, let's say he fights uh, Justin Gaethje, defeats him, he goes and defeats Conor McGregor. Tony Ferguson's up there for the greatest fighter of all time as well. One of them. One of them. Habib, if he goes and defeats Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje, and Conor a second time, you can possibly just say he's the best ever. You could probably say put him above John Jones without PEDs or above GSP. The winner of this fight, most likely in my prediction, is probably going to retire early 2021 after their next fight. I believe their next fight after April 18th is going to be probably November, the next New York card after this one. And then they're going to fight maybe of the spring of 2021 and then call it a career after that, no matter who wins this. If Tony loses, because I do favor Habib just a little bit, if Tony goes and loses to Habib, I believe Tony's still going to retire pretty soon right after he wins the belt. I believe he just wants to win the undisputed belt and that's it. Even if he loses to Khabib, he is still the second greatest life of all time. And this is the most stacked division in the sport. I cannot tell you guys how ready I am for this fight. I cannot tell you guys how amped I am. But let's calm it down because I don't want to think about it too much. I did a lot of thinking there, didn't I? All right, let's get to the questions now because I know you guys have a lot of questions. Now, if you guys want to ask me any questions for anybody new, you can ask me on my YouTube page under the community tab. I usually post questions for podcasts or something like that. Reply your questions under there. The questions with the most likes do get read first, and I answer every question, even if they're ridiculous. If they're a little bit too ridiculous, I'll probably get through it really, really quick and not put much time into it. But yeah, every question at the top gets read. And for the Twitter questions, make sure to tweet me, which is in my description box of every single video. You can tweet me and make sure to hashtag an MMA meeting like you'll see at the end of this podcast. The most liked comments on YouTube by Jack Karen or Karen. If Tony Habib happened in every stage it was meant to, what would have been the result each time? What would be the differences in each fight? We're talking about what, four times one fighter pulled out? Okay, the first time it got canceled was in 2015. I believe that was the ultimate fighter finale, but then uh, Tony went on to fight Edson Barboza instead and submitted him. I forgot that his fight with Edson Barboza was on short notice. A little bit short notice. It wasn't crazy. And where was Tony at in his career then? He was 6-0 after his loss to Michael Johnson. And he just defeated Josh Thompson. And where was Habib? Habib just defeated Rafael Dos Anjos a year and a half before. Well, he had two canceled bouts with Don Cerrone before this. After this cancellation, Habib fought Daryl Horcher. Who would have won that night? I think Tony would have won that night. I think his experience would have helped him. Habib didn't have much experience in the UFC then. And he really wasn't a striker at all. I think Tony would have dominated the striking then. And looking at his submission skills on Edson Barboza, on Gleason Tebow, on Abel Trujillo. Looking how dangerous he was and how much of a pace he puts on fighters. If it was five rounds, I would have favored Tony Ferguson then. I think it would have been too much too early for Habib then. And then their next cancel bout was on April of 2016, right after Tony's win against Edson Barboza. So Tony had his rematch scheduled for Michael Johnson, which got canceled, and then scheduled to fight Habib, and that got canceled. After this, Tony fought Lando Venata. And where was Habib? Habib just defeated Daryl Horcher and looked excellent doing it. This was when he had that time off, and Habib came back and looked amazing. He looked like a completely different fighter mentally and physically. He looked huge at this time. This is when he started to have those rough cuts. I believe at this time, I believe Habib probably would have won because of his weight and because he developed more of a striking style, right? After this cancellation, he fought Michael Johnson. He looked really solid with his stance, with his balance, and his defense. And looking at Tony Ferguson fighting Lando Venata, the unorthodox striking was getting to him. Habib at that time would have thrown some unorthodox stuff out there. And with the added weight, he definitely would have some power. I think the pressure on top would have defeated 
Tony Ferguson. And this was a main event. Now, I don't remember if this was going to be five rounds or three rounds. I don't know if they started the whole five round thing in 2016. I forgot. If it was five rounds, I think Habib wins by decision. Losing the last two rounds and winning the first three just by his grappling and pressure and keeping position on top. And then their next cancel bout was after Tony Ferguson defeated Rafael Dos Anjos, which I believe is his greatest performance in his career. He looked amazing. This was 2017 in March. And Habib just defeated Michael Johnson. After every single fight with Habib, they put him up against Tony Ferguson. And it just never happened. So he just defeated Michael Johnson. He looked excellent doing it. Newfound confidence. It seemed like very strong mentally. And this is right before he fought Edson Barboza. Again, there's a very similar Habib versus a very similar Tony. But Tony coming off the win against Hava Dos Anjos, the way he performed. Maybe mentally going better into the Habib fight. I believe this one would have been closer than their close one before this. I don't know who would win this one. If I look at their performances prior... I would favor Tony a bit because it would have been five rounds. This was for the interim belt on UFC 209 where Woodley fought Thompson the second time. They were the co-main event for this. It's close. They can go either way, man. I'll go with Tony Ferguson on this one. I'll go with him, but I could be wrong on that because Habib did slim down and get smaller for his next fight against Edson Barboza. And that was the same year, you know. And then their last cancel bout was on 2018 in April after Habib won the belt against Iaquinta and Tony defeated Kevin Lee. Not too far apart, not much different. I think it could still have gone either way. Looking at the performances, I would probably have gone with Habib because Tony, they have some trouble with the wrestling of Kevin Lee with the physicality. And I think Habib possibly could have held down Tony Ferguson if he was there that night or, you know, maybe a little bit after that. Habib probably saw some chinks in the armor. And the last thing Tony Ferguson saw from Habib was his fight with Ally Quinta. But again, Habib is not going to fight like that against Tony Ferguson. So it wouldn't have done that much good to just study the fight with Ally Quinta, right? Studying the fight with Kevin Lee against Tony Ferguson is a much better thing to go off. So I would have favored Habib on this one. And then we go to the next question. Joel Kanamuli. What do you think is a good tune-up fight for Rumble Johnson before his inevitable fight with Francis? Yes, this is something we have to say first. He cannot go out there and just fight Francis in his first return fight. I think a very good fight for him would be Blagoje Ivanov. Blagoje Ivanov is not an easy fight for anybody. He has a well-rounded style. He's a tough guy. He has a good chin. He took the shots from Derek Lewis very well. Marched him down. To get into the top ranks, to be ready for the next guys... Blagoj Ivanov is a very good fighter to test yourself against, right? I believe Ivanov is the gatekeeper to the top ranks. Even though he's number 11, I believe he's better than Shamil. And right below, I will say like Walt Harris at Overeem. You know, once you get to Overeem and Walt Harris, that's where the top of the division is at, right? A lot of those guys can just defeat each other. So I believe Rumble should fight Ivanov. And then we go to Blazing underscore 420 Hempster. That's like every 2015's email address. Can Leah Edwards defeat Tyron Woodley? How do you like the matchup and who do you think can implement their game plan more effectively? By the way, love your work. Keep it up. Thank you so much, man. And yes, Leon Edwards is going to be fighting Tyron Woodley in London after Woodley was saying that he would never fight in London and all that stuff. I don't know why he does that. Why does he do that? If he's going to take the fight, why does he go and just say that stuff? You lose some fans and, and you get some of them to just hate you for it, right? To complain all the time and then you throw reason onto it. That just doesn't make sense. It's just not rational at all. Um, If you're going to take the fight at the end, it's probably not best to complain about it before. But Kenley Edwards defeat Tyron Woodley? Absolutely. He has a major height advantage, major reach advantage, major striking advantage. He doesn't push for things, doesn't get too aggressive, keeps range very, very well, able to do it on Don Cerrone, who is a range finder with the kicks. So if he can get Tom Woodley backing up and keep him on the cage the entire fight, I don't think Woodley can do anything. I really don't think he could do anything. Maybe some light kicks, but I think Edwards will start to check those and land punches over the top, keep volume on him. 
Everything Woodley is going to do, I believe Edwards is going to answer him with like three, four, five strikes. Everything Woodley does with one big right hand, one big leg kick, one big blast double from a far range. I believe Edwards is going to make him pay with combinations and just outpointing him. And also Edwards has the age advantage and he's in his prime, right? He's in that like, I don't want to say flow state because it carries a bad name to it for some reason. But in that sort of sense, he's at a phase in his career that he'll probably never hit again. And I believe Woodley is past that time. So can Edwards defeat Woodley? Yes, absolutely. And how do I like the matchup and who I think can implement their game plan more effectively? Woodley's a very smart fighter. He knows how to make things work with the limited techniques that he utilizes. Someone who can make their one dimension work across all styles is someone who is showing fight IQ, right? He has one big overhand, one big right leg kick, and one big blast double with great pressure on top. Likes to sit in your half guard. He defeats a lot of people with these simple things. Can he implement it on Leah Edwards? I believe Edwards is more unidentified. I believe he still has a lot of things in his toolbox he has never shown before. He's going to be showing a lot of things against Woodley. This is his biggest fight in his career. At the end, I do think Edwards might implement the game plan better than Woodley because he's seen what Woodley has done in every single fight, and he has tools that Woodley has never seen before. When I think about it, I haven't thought anything of this fight yet. Everything I just told you is pretty much everything that just came to my head. Right now, I believe Edwards will defeat Tyron Woodley. And then we go to Pumpy FN, Colby versus Tyron, Usman versus Edwards, best fight of all time in each division. Colby versus Tyron, um, tough fight. I think Colby can absolutely win that, very similar to the way Kamaru Usman did. But the thing is, Colby has to wrestle. He can't go out there and fight the way he fought Kamaru Usman. He has to mix up the striking with the takedowns. Because one, Tyron Woodley doesn't have the gas tank that Kamaru Usman has. And he's not as composed as Usman under the fire. So it depends what Colby does in that fight. I believe he can. Will he? I don't know. And Usman versus Edwards, I believe Usman dominates Edwards. I just think the wrestling is just way too strong. Best fight of all time. So heavyweight is definitely Hunt versus Bigfoot 1. Light heavyweight is Jones versus Gus 1. Middleweight, Izzy versus Gaslam is fresh in the head, isn't it? Yeah, I'd probably say that. I'd probably say Izzy versus Gaslam. Walterweight has so many great fights. How can you not say it's Lawler versus Roy McDonald 2? And what's the second one? Lawler versus Condit. Lawler's a monster, man lightweight frank yager versus great manor 2 definitely stands out and then featherweight 100 percent josie oliver versus chad mendes 2 that is one of the best fights of all time and one of the most underrated fights of all time go back and watch that if you guys have never seen that fight stop what you're doing and just go and watch that fight really quick and come back to me when i saw that fight live i just couldn't believe it those two definitely took years of their lives in that fight oh but there is also korean zombie versus rodriguez Ah, you can go back and forth with that one because the knockout of the ladder can put itself over all over its Mendes too. And then Bantamweight, I absolutely loved Garbrandt versus Dillashaw 1. Flyweight, I could have sworn an amazing flyweight fight just happened not too long ago. DJ versus McCall was a good one. Sahudo versus Benavidez was a good fight. Woman's Bantamweight is probably Rousey versus Tate 2. And Strawweight is probably Rose versus Ioana 2. And then we go to the Milkman. Who would win these fantasy Tony Ferguson matchups? So Holloway versus Tony at 155. Tony destroys Holloway. Tony's a better Holloway. <laughs> it's pretty much what it is. He's bigger, longer, more power, better grappler, throws crazy things on the feet, very unpredictable, never stops, high output, lasts all five rounds. Yeah, he's a better Holloway. Tony versus Nate Diaz. Speaking of that, he also brings what Nate Diaz brings into a fight, but a lot more effective with kicks, with wrestling, with elbows, with power, better gas tank, amazing ability to recover. Tony destroys Nadia's. Absolutely destroys him. Tony versus Connor. Now, here's the thing. Out of all the high-level fighters, Connor has the best chance of knocking out Tony in the first two rounds. But the last three rounds, 
out of the highest level fighters in the 155 pound division, Tony destroys Connor far worse than anybody else. I'll go with Tony Ferguson. He's very smart, high fight IQ, throws many weird things that Connor has never seen before. The jab can be in Connor's face all night. Tony will switch stances, so the southpaw stance, he could throw that jab in Connor's outside slip, getting the outside foot, getting the inside foot. Whatever advantage he wants to take as a southpaw versus orthodox gets taken away from the switching of stances by Tony Ferguson. The wrestling route is also an option. So Tony definitely, I think, would be Conor McGregor. Tony Ferguson versus Mazavdal at 170. Oh man, that's a good fight. And I have never thought about this. I never think about Tony going up to 170, even though he's a big 155er. And he's fought at 170 and has a lot of knockouts there. So we know that Tony at 170 is a knockout artist compared to 155. Oh man, that's such a good fight. I don't know who would win. They can both switch stances on each other. Tony's a better switch fighter, but he will leave himself exposed. And Mazdal is a very good textbook fighter when he wants to go that route. He will throw some flashy things, but he has a core of fundamentals. He will never leave that out. Both can last five rounds, I believe. So the pace of Tony possibly can make Mazdal slow in the fifth round. But we don't even know if Tony's going to have that kind of cardio at 170. I can see a right overhand from Mazdal catching Tony as Tony's trying to switch and try to create an angle. Kind of similar how he caught uh, Nate Diaz. A very similar punch. But the thing is, when Jorge Mazdal's moving backwards heavily from pressure, his defense will open up a lot more. Right, He'll sometimes drop his hands. Sometimes he picks his hands too high up to the side. Almost like a boxer. And Tony will absolutely find holes and just overwhelm Mazdal. I'll go Tony Ferguson on this one. I think at the end of the day, the pressure and the output would not allow Mazdal to throw anything too much, right? Just one big shot here and there, and Tony, I think, will be able to see those because of his reach advantage, and also because he's amazing at rolling with punches. And I believe the jab of Mazdal is going to be neutralized, and that is one of his best weapons. Wonder Boy versus Tony Ferguson. It depends if Tony wrestles, because he's going to pressure Wonder Boy heavily, kind of how he did Edson Barboza, right? Right at the get-go. Did not let Barboza breathe. And that's exactly what he has to do against Wonderboy. But he's going to get tagged here and there. But he is a knockout artist. He has a longer reach. He has the wrestling aspect. I'll go with Tony Ferguson. And then Usman versus Tony. That's a really good fight. I just think Usman's going to be able to hold down Tony. I think Usman's going to take damage. And it's going to leave questions as to whether Tony should win the fight. But because he gets taken down and held down for so long, I believe Usman will squeak through a decision. Then we go to Big Dad Braden. What happens if Rosenstrike ends up knocking out Nganu cold in the first round? How does the heavyweight division change? And would Rosenstrike be the scariest fighter we have ever seen? If Rosenstrike knocks out Nganu in the first round, he is the scariest fighter we have ever seen. Nobody knocks out Nganu let alone in the first round, right? I believe Nganu has the hardest chin we've ever seen because of his uh, performance against Stipe Miocic. I mean, we're talking about a guy who ate Stipe Miocic's best shots for five rounds while gassed out and never got rocked. So if Rosenstrike does it in the first round, man, it changes up things. How does it change up the heavyweight division? I don't think it changes the division as a whole, right? It doesn't shake up the core or anything like that. I think Rosenstrike will be next for the title shot. And he will be known as the scariest fighter that ever competed in the UFC. And think about it, he's not even 260, right? He doesn't cut weight to heavyweight, whereas Nganu does. So that's another scary thing. And then it'll bring up questions as to Rosenstrike versus Deontay Wilder and stuff like that, you know. It's going to bring it up. Fans are going to bring it up 100%. They bring it up for Nganu. They're going to bring it up with Rosenstrike if he goes and knocks on Nganu. But here's the thing, Rosenstrike has a long kickboxing record. Long time in that field. So... Then we go to Shadow the First, GSP versus Usman. I'll go with GSP. Striking's way better. Usman has more power, 
but GSP definitely has power to hurt Usman. His wrestling will surprise Usman here and there. Usman will be able to scramble, and I do not think that GSP is going to be able to get on top and hold position, but he will get some takedowns here and there and just outstrike Usman on the feet. Both eras. Both eras of GSP, I believe, will do that. What age is a man's physical peak? My dad told me it's 17 to 19, but I always thought it was 24 to 25. It depends on the person. Everybody's different. Some people peak later, some people peak earlier. It depends on how soon they go through puberty and all sort of stuff. I'd probably say on average, I think 17 to 19 is way too early. Most people are not full by that time. 24 to 25 does seem a lot more reasonable. I say 24 to 25, even 27, you can go there. And can you be fast twitch and have good cardio if you have excellent cardio genes? For example, if my dad is very fast twitch and I got that from him and my mom has really good stamina, genes, to the point where it's so hard for my mom's side to gas out, is it possible for me to be both explosive, almost like Josie Aldo, but have cardio like Nate Diaz? I don't know how the whole gene thing works there. Um, I don't know just because your dad's side is fast twitch, your mom's side has good cardio. I don't know how that mixes in, but is it possible to be fast twitch as well as having good cardio? Yes, it is. Yes. We have seen fighters like this before. Deontay Wilder. Fast twitch, doesn't gas out. Weird, freakish, but it happens. And then I am currently 15, about to be 16, but I have a question. Will my shoulders naturally grow more? Yes, most likely. They are already big, but will they grow more? And will I have more power, speed, stamina naturally? Yes, absolutely, as you get older from adolescence. Does that grow more after 15, 16? And if yes, how much more and to what extent, or should I say age? Also, I am athletic and a very quick learner and joined wrestling soon as I hit 16 folk style. Will I be able to maul people like Kamaru, Habib, etc.? Okay, absolutely, from 15 years old, you're definitely going to get more powerful. You're definitely going to get more athletic, more speed, more stamina. Everything is going to grow intelligence, everything is going to grow from that age. You're in your adolescence period. So as the name suggests, all your attributes are 100% going to grow from this point. Unless you're different. Some people, for example, I've been 5'11 since I was 13 years old. Since I was 13 years old, I have not grown in my height. And I've weighed with the same muscle since I was, I think, 16 or 15. I take it from my dad's side. My dad's side grew very, very quickly. My dad also stopped growing to height, I think, when he was 12 years old. Everybody on my dad's side hit puberty from birth. You know, it's just weird. I had beards when they popped out. I went through the whole puberty stage extremely quickly. I had facial hair in middle school. I was taller than teachers. I was the tallest kid in the entire school. And I was in the lowest grade of the school. So there are some people who will stop growing at a very young age. Mentally, not so much. So maybe you can work on things and be more adaptable because of your higher intelligence. Even though your body stops growing, your mind grows usually until the 20s. So I'm pretty sure in your case, on average, you will absolutely grow with your attributes. Then we go to James Tom Linneson. Do you think recency bias is a big problem in MMA? Like how everybody thought Till was going to lose the Gaslam by KO and how everybody thought that Cowboy after three wins against lesser competition deserved a title shot. Or even Gaethje after three KO wins would now beat McGregor Habib when a year ago nobody would even think that. Recency bias is huge in MMA. You win your last fight, you are the greatest of all time. People are now going for Volkanovski as the greatest featherweight of all time. And if you lose, you're nothing. Like I said before, Josie Aldo is the biggest example of recency bias. When he went on his run, he was the greatest ever. He was pound for pound number one. He lost to Conor McGregor. He's trash. He beats Frank Yeager. He's back. He's the greatest again. He will beat everybody. He is the unstoppable force. He loses to Max Holloway. He's the worst. 
He loses again. People forget about him. He defeats Jeremy Stevens and Hanato Moicano. He's back. He's going to win the belt again. He loses to Volkanovski. He's nothing again. The only time is against Marlon Moraes. People think that he won that fight. People think he should probably get a title shot or something. Recency bias is big. And it can be a problem, but it can also be fun. You know, Ngannou's run before he won the belt, it was a fun thing to watch. It was a fun thing to talk about him first Stipe. And that whole recency bias can just blind us, right? The excitement of the sport can blind us. That's what the recency bias really is. It's the excitement of the fights. And we can't blame that much because MMA is just so fun to watch. It just gravitates so strongly that whenever things happen, we think it's the greatest thing ever. And also, I believe that with the amount of fights that go on, we can't think too far in the past. We can't think three, four weeks ago after a fight just happened because there's been so many fights. Even at this point, I forgot about so many fights that have happened this year. But if you reminded me, I'd be like, oh yeah, that fight did happen. That was actually an amazing fight. That was actually a great knockout. That guy actually has been doing very well. Or, you know, not too long ago, Don Sorney lost three fights in a row. Oh, he did? Oh, wow, I completely forgot. So it is a big problem when considering where fighters are actually are objectively in their careers. And it can actually create some dire situations where you throw fighters into a title shot very, very quickly when they shouldn't be in there. And I'm not going to lie, Darren Till is that guy. Darren Till is throwing at Tyron Woodley a bit too early in his career. And I believe that was because of recency bias as well. So it is a big problem. But it is fun, you have to admit. And then we go to the stuff monster. Pound for pound best, kicking in general, Edson Barboza. Leg kicks... Edson Barboza or Justin Gaethje. Barboza having two leg-kicking finishes probably puts him at the top. Boxing, I'd probably say Conor McGregor. There is Hori Maslow, he's a great boxer, but I think Conor's a little bit sharper with things. Elbows is Tony Ferguson. Matt Brown's up there, but I think Ferguson has just took that title over. Cardio, I'll say there's four cardio kings. There's Colby, Usman, there's Khabib, and there's Tony Ferguson. Tony and Colby have had the greatest cardio performances in UFC history when Colby fought Robbie Lawler and Tony fought RDA. I'll say it's Tony Ferguson. I think Tony is the greatest cardio because he's throwing power shots, stopping takedowns, putting a lot of output, and fighting in like Mexico City at the same time against elite fighters back to back to back to back and doing it every single time. And he just never gasses out. Colby will throw power shots, but a lot of them are just like half punches with good takedowns as well. Colby's right there. I think Tony's number one. Who do you think has the best shot at being champion in three weight classes? I think I've answered this before. Henry Cejudo. Especially now that uh, Volkanovski has won the belt. I think Volkanovski is a better fight for him than Max Holloway was. 214 pound Volkanovski versus 185 pound Adesanya. Isn't that crazy? I even think Volkanovski, when he weighed 214, weighed more than Adesanya's walk around weight. 5'6 Volkanovski compared to 6'4 Adesanya. And Volkanovski possibly weighed more than him. Crazy, man. Crazy. If Volkanovski never lost that weight, he would be a 185-pound fighter. Or even a 205-er. Think about that, man. Think about how crazy that is. Oh, absolutely, Adesanya would wreck him. Like, unless 214 Volkanovski has some, like, Nganu power in him. You know, he just starts ripping to the body and just tearing everything out of Adesanya's abdomen. It's an X factor. You know, because that added weight is definitely going to add on something. I just think skills and technically... Adesanya would beat Volkanovski. I don't know, man. I don't know. That's was such a weird thing to think about. But what I will say is that the fact that Volkanovski went down to 145 and his walk-around weight's like 170 or something now, 214 is not the optimal weight for him to fight. So, yeah. Adesanya would win that. And then next question, could Nganu take an unexpected clean shot from Nganu? I don't think so, man. Nganu's like Thanos, dude. 
He has a pretty big chin, pretty strong chin, but he has that Finney gauntlet of his. No matter how strong your chin is, that thing's gonna wipe you out. Let me go to everything MMA. Get ready, guys, okay? It's not PG friendly. How big is your dick? No homo, though. Let's just say that when I compete, I gotta negotiate for some fighting pants. I can't wear shorts. <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. And then we go to Edgar Lugo Vasquez. Do you ever see MMA making it into the Olympics? And if not, why? Also, if you could change any one rule detail of the format in MMA to improve the sport, what would it be? I don't see it going to the Olympics. And I don't really want to see it go to the Olympics, to be honest. It's too much of an entertainment sport, I believe, as well as it's not one art. And, you know, the cage and all that sort of stuff. I don't see it being, like, Olympics friendly. If you put on headgear, the grappling's gonna be altered and very weird. Are you gonna wear bigger gloves? Are you gonna wear shin pads? Like, I don't know, man. I don't want to see it there. It's gonna change the dynamic of the of the sport going out of the Olympics. And anything I could change about MMA to make it better? Change the gloves. Go to pride gloves. That's one thing. The UFC gloves extend your fingers out while pride gloves curved your hand in. So it makes more of a fist naturally. That's why you never saw eye pokes in pride, right? And also change the 10-point must system. Judging has to be different. Now, it is subjective at this point. I know it's a hot topic these days because uh, Joe Rogan was talking about it. I think Luke Thomas talked about it. The whole judging thing just has to change. I think we all agree that the 10-point must system is just not the greatest for MMA, especially when you take other variables such as, you know, grappling and how does that count? How much merit does that have? Rules are a little bit strange as well. Damage is the highest order of the criteria in judging. And although I do like that, I do think that damage should be the most important thing in a fight. How do you put other things into account now? How does grappling get somewhere on equal ground? I think it has to be a little bit more specific. And also, a fight judged as a whole possibly can be better for MMA. It was really good for Pride. And also, one big thing I would love for them to have, because other sports don't have this, right? The position of a fight at the end of a round should continue to the next one. If Habib has Dustin Poirier on the ground at the end of the first round let's say he's in half guard on top the second round should start with habib on top and half guard and how does that go with submissions now how do you go into more uh strange territory well if habib has a rear naked choke on dustin poirier at the end of the first that is where they should start at the second they should have habib's arm around dustin poirier's neck same position on the back hooks the same way once the ref signals the fight habib will start squeezing for that choke and dustin poirier has to find a way out of it the corner between the rounds are able to tell Dustin Poirier, okay, hey, he has you in a choke. This is what you got to do. You got to scratch off this hand. You got to turn this way. This is what the corner can really help with. Rather than, okay, we're in the next round. Hubby might be doing this and that. He might come out here with this, with this sort of movement. You should be throwing the right hand a little bit more. Double up on the jab. You know, the corner, I believe, isn't as helpful when the position isn't carried on to the next. I don't know, just a thought. I think that'd be awesome. They would go to HMS underscore Thunderchild. If the Mortal Kombat tournament came to Earth and you get to choose one fighter from each division that is not a current champion to represent Earth against Outworld, who would you choose? Keep up the great work. Thank you so much, man. We will lose. <laughs> you know, we will lose. You know, those guys have like, shoot like fireballs and stuff, right? We only need one person, to be honest. Though. Now, he's not in the UFC, so does it count? We only have one person on Earth that can do this. We send Lord Artemis Lobov to go and clean out the whole mess. That's it. That's all we need. The goat. Man, I miss him already. I don't know how to pronounce that name. That E is just throwing me off. Davide? Fanara? David Fanara? What are your unpopular opinions on MMA slash UFC?
Let's see how many what's I get. Let's see how many question marks I get. Jonjol's early tall defense run is a bit overrated. Habib is the most effective at defending strikes in the lightweight division. Malamarez reasonably defeated Jose Aldo. Douglas Lima can become the UFC champion in his next fight. And Alexander Volkanovsky is the greatest featherweight of all time. That one's a bit of a joke. But I can actually make a compelling argument for it. And then we go to the Twitter questions. We're going to start with at MMA City one Do you think that Izzy has a good shot at being a three-weight champion? I think he can make both 170 and 205. I wouldn't say a good shot. I would say he has a shot, but it's unfavorable, right? Defeating Jones is a bit much. And moving down the 170, I think he possibly can make it, but he's very skinny for as tall as he is. I don't know what else he can give up on his body to make 170. I thought you were going to say heavyweight. I thought you were going to say gain weight and fight Stipe. I think defeating Stipe is a lot more probable than defeating Kamaru Usman at 170. Then we go to at Noah Lucas Bra. Six four-minute rounds, MMA gloves, in a ring, boxing only. Francis Ngannou versus Deontay Wilder. Who you got and why? I got Wilder because uh, the whole MMA gloves thing, the only thing that really changes is how big the gloves are. So distance is going to be a few inches different. And the covering up, the guard, defense in general is going to be a little bit different. But Deontay Wilder doesn't really pick up his hands to defend punches that much. He will at times. So maybe instincts here and there. The inches where it won't matter is where Francis can possibly land and knock out Deontay Wilder. But Wilder has the cardio advantage. So even if it goes at the end of the fight, Ngannou might be tired where Wilder won't. They both have really good chins, but they both have power to knock out each other with one big blow. But Wilder is more experienced in boxing. He has fought higher level competition with more skilled and technical fighters. So I do think Wilder will be able to get it done. I think it's wide stance and in and out movements. Straight punches are going to be able to get in and out on Ngannou. And Ngannou counters with that left hook of his almost every single time. I don't think Wilder is going to be in the way of that shot. Ngannou has to find his way in and that is not something he normally does. And I'm glad for this question. I don't like to touch on it too much, but Mark, you are spot on. And Mark Oliveris, given the fact that punches you don't see coming are the ones that knock you out, does that mean the concept of quote-unquote having a chin is not entirely accurate? Isn't it more so that a durable fighter is one that is able to take shots because they see them coming? You are absolutely right. This is why you see Diaz brothers get dropped, but they're able to recover very, very quickly because they're not as rocked as you think. Now, having a chin is absolutely a concept. Having a chin is pretty much dependent on your makeup. The meninges, the fluid around your brain, is that torn apart? Are they full? Do you have more of that? Do you have less because of the damage you have taken? All that sort of stuff is definitely a concept. The strength of your neck. This definitely has an impact on the quality of your chin specifically, but is not as strong of a factor as seeing punches and not seeing them. A lot of times you definitely see these guys with really good chins able to see the punches coming. Diaz brothers, like I said before, they see punches coming all the time, but they're just a bit too slow sometimes to get away from them, or they're leaning away from them and they get caught at the end of it and get dropped off balance. So yes, mostly you're correct. Having good eyes correlates to having a good chin. Then we go to at GE00212803. Quote unquote, the best fighter doesn't always win. Would you agree with this statement? You tend to favor fighters who have won the first fight. Would you apply this saying to these fights? Derek Lewis versus Volkov, Hermanson versus Kananir, Nganu Stipe, Rosenstrike versus Reem. That statement can absolutely be true, especially when you see a finish or see some fighter winning and then they just get caught. Chill Sonnen says it very well. He says that the fighter that wins isn't necessarily the better fighter, but is someone who fought better that night. So I believe Volkov is a better fighter than Derek Lewis. Hermanson and Kananir, I don't know. 
Kedinir is always dangerous in every given moment. That's pretty much his thing. With Lewis and Volkov, you know, Lewis is a lot more one-dimensional, and Volkov just made a big error. Right, he was winning the entire fight and just made one mistake because of Lewis's uncanny pressure in that fight. I think it just caught Volkov off guard. I think Volkov in a rematch would absolutely beat Lewis. I think Kananir will still beat Hermanson, but it would be closer. Nganu versus Stipe, I don't know. That's a tough one. It just depends how Nganu approaches the fight. Because I believe Stipe brought everything he had in the toolbox against Nganu that first time. And Rosa Strike versus Reem, I absolutely do think Overeem is a better fighter, but his chin is such a liability. Like, man, you can get caught with a jab and get knocked out. He got hit by a flush right hook after that uppercut. Then we go to at KB1044. You often say that straight punches often beat looping punches. Facts. Does it follow then that straight punches are superior to looping punches in general? Are there advantages to looping punches over straight punches given certain contexts? Thanks, man. No, thank you so much for the question. So, yes, straight punches, when they're meeting looping punches at the same time, straight punches are going to win every time because they have a shorter distance to travel. And because you're connecting first, you're connecting with more impact. The follow-up punch from the opponent, the looping punch, is going to decrease in impact, decrease in power because they got connected on. And also, you can block punches with your shoulder, with your arm on the inside of the punch, all that sort of stuff, right? But that does not mean that straight punches in general are superior because there are always situations where looping punches are going to be more effective, right? Generally, looping punches get over guards a lot better, right? When someone is tightening up, turtling up, looping punches usually get through the guard a lot easier. And also, they can land behind the ear, which is an equilibrium shot, right? It's a lot easier to knock someone down with a looping punch over a guard because they can't be behind the ear and stuff, right? There are also angles, you know, specific angles where looping punches are just going to meet the target a lot more effectively. And also, is there a punch to keep the opponent off from, you know, getting the outside foot in opposite stances? It's going to be your lead hook. Rather than a jab, which is going to meet on that straight line, which they're exiting on, Let's say you're an orthodox fighter, someone southpaw, and they're trying to take the outside foot. A left hook fading away and meeting a perpendicular angle to them is a very good technique to make them pay for it. So there are definitely many situations where looping punches are going to be better than straight punches, but when they meet each other, straight punches are going to have the advantage. Then we go to at Ahern Eamon. What do you make of this? So Roy McDonald inks deal with professional fighters league. It seems like he's trying to make more money. Nothing else. The competition is less. He should absolutely win. It seems like Rory has lost his passion for competition and just finding ways to make more money. When he fought Robbie Lawler in the rematch, he made like $40,000 or $49,000, which is crazy. I do not like seeing that. Um, so he went to Bellator, was making six figures without sponsors. And now the PFL, I don't know if he's in the tournament, but I know in the PFL, they have that uh, million dollar tournament and he should absolutely win that. So not looking for competition, but he's looking for ways to make money. Can't fault him. He's been in the sport for a long time. He wasn't making money in the UFC, it seems like. So he's trying to make up for lost money. And then last but not least, we go to at... Uh, I do not know how to pronounce that. Shwar Ligwangan. I don't know how to pronounce it, man. I'm sorry. Five fighters whose pro record doesn't reflect how good they actually are. Oh, man, you go back in the day. Randy Couture is number one. That guy has a salty record. But absolutely one of the best of all time. Tito Ortiz, another one. Can you say BJ Penn? Yeah, I guess almost having an Artem record. Probably doesn't match up with how good he actually was. Amanda Nunes, absolutely. And I'll say Yoel Romero. So that's the end of the podcast, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you did, make sure to like. Make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel if you're listening to the audio version of this. And again, thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.